Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome. It's hard to believe I've been saying that for over six years now, approaching my seventh year doing this show, first on broadcast radio and then live stream the last year and a half. And I have to say that, as always, this is my favorite time of the week is when I get to be here with my listeners, those listening on live stream, watching us with video as well as audio. Thank you for always joining in. And those who are listening on the podcast, thank you for making this show one of the top 3% of all shows globally. Really grateful for that. That's not just a category thing. That's top 3% globally. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I know that the reason my show is so popular and that so many of you send me notes and emails is because, and texts, because some of you have my, my cell phone number, which I've given out in the past, um, is because of my wonderful, wonderful guests. And my guest today has been on the show several times, and she hasn't been on in a while now. And we've been talking about doing it, and lots of things, tech and otherwise have made it so that she wasn't able to be on, but we have her on here today. And I'm really happy to have her on because she's somebody that I met through the Vero Beach Book Center. Cynthia Callender used to be the director of publicity for the Book Center, still one of the most awesome independent bookstores that I know in Vero Beach. And she's like, you need to come to this particular um, book signing. And I said, oh, okay. So I brought my mom, we went over and we listened to Dr. Lori Nadell talk about her book, The Five Gifts. This was several years ago. Discover hope, healing, and strength when disaster strikes. And Lori and I have become friends since then. And I still, as you can tell, I've never taken the dog ears or the, the little post-it notes out. I've even added some different color ones over the years because the book, has helped me through so much. So let's just bring Lori right back into the show for those watching on um, video. She is now live on camera. So Lori, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Laura. It's so great to have you and and you blip. And so um, I don't know if you want to repeat what you just said, but we had Thank you so much for having me on the show. And uh, I do apologize if there's any background noise. There's some work going on outside that I have no control over, but hopefully it won't uh, interrupt the flow of our conversation. Well, that's what just proves to everybody that it's live radio, right? (laughs) Yeah, not really radio, but it it is a live stream. Now, I've had your book for a number of years since we got there, and it still sits somewhere that I can grab it easily. And I've been doing a lot of thinking lately with COVID and all these other things that are happening where I live, there seem to be constant car crashes. There's, uh, and, and I live in a very sleepy area yet. It seems like there's more traffic, there's more accidents, there's more, um, craziness with police. And then I I look at COVID, right? A couple of dear friends of mine, who have been extremely careful, except they recently went to some holiday parties, fully vaccinated, fully boosted, have gotten COVID, pretty sick. 
Um, I, I, I think I'm just going to blurt it out. Here's my question. You know, one year, two years, six months, is there ever a point where the body just begins to accept that whatever the change is that's happening around you or to you is what it's going to be? Or does that never really happen? Um, excuse me just a second. I'm looking for a quote from a, a book called Epidemics and Society from the Black Death to the Present. And oh. um, this is a book written by a Yale historian uh, named Frank Snowden. And I'm a masochist, so I read all 600-some pages uh, about a year ago. Um, and there's something that I'd, I'd, I'd like to bring up, you know, later in the context of, of the show, because you're, you're, you touched on a word that I say to people all the time. There, there is now uh, people's nerves are frayed, and they're full of craziness that has never existed before, in, in my experience anyway. Um, people are, are the comments that just blow up over nothing. Uh, friendships, very long friendships, which just kind of dissolve with a um, an unexpected argument. Uh, best friends go away on trips, and um, two days into the trip, there's a, an absolutely desperate argument and a blow up, and um, there goes 30 years of friendship. Um, car accidents increasing, um, as you can see. I mean, bizarre crimes, homicides. I mean, you know, they joke about Florida man, but Florida man is everywhere. People are just, just doing really insane things. Um, New York, where uh, I had my office and lived for many, many years, um, I, I had to shut down my office when the uh, pandemic started. And, um, you know, from what I hear, it's just no longer safe to walk around my old neighborhood um, after after dark, you know, women just don't go out at night right now because the level of crime has increased. So, you know, the question of whether we, you know, do, do you accept it? Um, I think you have to come to terms with it, that things are very unstable right now and volatile right now, and that we're living in a time of turbulence. And the pandemic, whatever you may think about um, what caused it or, um, or about vaccines, or about masks, it still is a fact of life. And it is creating upheaval in all areas of life. And it's going to go away. It's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, hopefully, you know, we as a species will develop immunity to it as it, as it mutates. And, um, and it will become less of a, a, of a deadly virus. That's, that's what we can hope. Do we ever get used to living with craziness? I, I think that you get numb to living with craziness. And I think that part of what's happening is that people are, are starting to really shut down and get numb to um, the chaos that's around us. So I think that that, that is a kind of a danger in terms of um, one of the kind of um, ripple effects of the pandemic. Why is becoming numb a danger? Well, I, as I write about it, since I wrote The Five Gifts, was because I was aware that we were living in a time of increasing disasters. There were three types of disasters. 
are natural disasters, there are environmental disasters, and there are intentional, you know, human-to-human -human disasters like a mass fatality attack, uh, bombing, uh, shooting, um, that kind of thing. And those are all; those have all been increasing over the last, you know, certainly the last, let's say, 20 years since September 11th. Um, the incidents have been increasing. And um, and when you turn on your phone or you turn on your screens, I mean, there's, there's everybody gets a news feed, uh, kind of whether you like it or not. At some point during the day, breaking news will pop up on your screen. And it's just all too easy to swipe and go to a cat video or go to your favorite sports team or, you know, watch videos. I have friends who just like they can just sit there watching TikTok videos forever and um, and what it does is is it it numbs you out to the actual human price of what happens when there is a disaster, and when there is a disaster, we're talking about sudden, violent, and unexpected death or near death to anywhere from you know one person to thousands of people, or in this case, millions of people around the world who were going along, living their lives in normal no, mode, whatever that was, and then they got hit by this virus, and now they're no longer with us. And I, I forget what the global death rate is from this pandemic. And what happens is after a while, especially because we're, we are kind of afflicted with 24-7, you know, so-called news and information and cable news cycles, is that the, um, the tsunami of misinformation that people are subjected to, whether it's, you know, from social media, whether it's from talk radio, or whether it's from cable news, wherever it is, or whether it's from the government or this government or another government or which government is telling the truth, or is it the CDC or is it the World Health Organization? I mean, it, it just becomes so overwhelming that people shut down. But all of that misinformation and confusion, it kind of stays in the in the collective subconscious and so people don't know what nobody knows what you can hold on to you know can you hold on to the fact that vaccines are helpful pretty much i think i mean they, they keep people they're definitely lowering the or, or keeping the death rate from this virus from escalating but are they really effective if you end up with covid after you've had your vaccines people have questions and nobody can answer those questions and so People start numbing out, and when people numb out, that's when you start to see the, the car accidents, people cursing at each door. Um, I've had friends standing on checkout lines in places like Whole Foods, where suddenly somebody starts arguing with them, or they'll ask somebody to please pull their mask up, and the person turns around and becomes belligerent, or somebody punches out a flight attendant who says, sir, could you please put your mask up? So I think that the violence that we're seeing is kind of um, it's an expression of the helplessness that we feel because we, we really don't have real facts. Everybody's dealing and wrestling with the chaos and unpredictable, the, the unpredictability and the unknowability of what is it, what is it that we're really dealing with here. We're going into year three and we still have no idea how we treat this, where did it come from, what is it doing, um, is it going to get worse, uh, and we thought it was going to get better because we had, we had vaccines and people took masks off and people were socializing and people were going back to you know, big events and 
rallies in the park and going to concerts and sports events. And now suddenly, you know, there, there's there's like a new wave and everything shuts down and people get scared. And when people get scared, people get angry because it feels better than feeling helpless. And that's why I wrote The Five Gifts, because even though I had no idea that there would be a pandemic, yeah. I, did know, I did know that disasters were increasing and that we were living in it. It was a very troubling trend. And we need a different mindset to deal with the kind of the, the, the big picture uh, turbulence and violence and sudden shifts in the basic facts that we're trying to navigate our lives with. So that's why I wrote the book, because we need a different mindset to get through, to navigate these unstable conditions that are now pretty much a fact of life. Now, you went from being a journalist to a, a psychologist, helping people go through and work themselves through these things that you used to report on and or write on and, and all of that. And, you know, I sit here and I say to myself, would, you know, and I'm considered a journalist. I remember the first time somebody called me a journalist from having the radio show and reporting and doing things. You know, I don't report on current events, but I interview people about different things that are going on. And I, and I write for magazines and stuff. But, you know, you mentioned the social media. You mentioned the news feeds, the, all of that stuff. How much of a play does that in triggering the the emotions that we're seeing? I mean, I, I'm into excuse me, I'm into cybersecurity because of my tech background, and you know, I look at anything that crosses my social media feed as well. Is that a real player, or is that? from somebody else trying to manipulate and I am dog sitting and the dog really, really, really wants to sit on my lap right now. So it keeps trying to crawl on top of me. So it's quite, quite funny, that little uh, thing that I've got going on over here. So I wonder how much does that play into it? You know, you talked about going numb and watching TikTok videos and, and all that, but those to me can create even more of an anger and a whatever, because there's subtle things going on in the TikTok world. You know, um, you know, one of the challenges, uh, stick a penny, lick it in an electrical thing. I mean, come on. There, there's so many of these challenges that are out there that people are doing for escapism that are actually creating more violence and more discomfort, but yet people are gravitating to them. So I really, I feel like there's some sort of link to all of that, but from your perspective as a journalist, as an author, as a psychologist, what can we do to help ourselves with that? Because, I mean, I don't even know when something's on the news anymore, when it passes what I think are legitimate news sources, how to filter some of that stuff. Is it real? Is it not? Right. Well, it, you know, it's almost, I mean, I think it's almost impossible no, you know, what's real? I mean, I have certain sources that um, I'm kind of old guard. So, you know, I, I'll read the Associated Press, I'll read Reuters, uh, which is British news agency. 
and uh, I'll, I'll watch the BBC news a few times a week because they're and, and the Canadian news also because they look at the United States through a lens. So they tend to be more observers and they tend not to, not to have that hysterical edge that even, you know, the, the so-called, you know, used to be very fact-based, you know, evening news shows with Walter Cronkite, who I had the honor of working with, and Dan, oh. you know, there, there was a, a yeah. um, you know, that, I mean, we were taught to report the facts and you present one side right. of the other, present the other side, and you keep it balanced, and you pretty much let the viewer decide for themselves, although there, were, there was always a little, little bit of opinion when the reporter was standing up, you know, at the end of the piece for like 10, 15 seconds, kind of wrapping it up or summarizing it. So there's always some some editorial opinion. You know, the gist of the story was always there, you know, in, in a factual way. Um, social media is totally out of control. Um, I, I, really, I, I really think that a lot of it is evil. I mean, the fact that you can live stream a murder on Facebook to me Ugh. is enough so that horrible. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, if I, I, I don't, I don't have any say in anything, but to me, that would be grounds for just shutting it down. You know, if it's used to, you know, if, if, if Facebook was used to announce something like the Parkland school shooting and somebody, some kid, some deranged kid could get on Facebook and, and propose and, and threaten um, and, and nothing was done uh, about that, then I think that, you know, Having having these, um, you know, channels, I guess, platforms where um, people can uh, propose or people can uh, threaten or people can car carry out and ex and uh, people can carry out and execute um, acts of mass violence. I think it's evil, and that should really that it it should be stopped. And the fact that it's not, I think, is uh, significant because I know that people believe in freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And I've gotten, I've been criticized by, by friends of mine um, in different chat rooms with researchers that what I'm proposing is a violation of freedom of expression. But if you shout out, you know, that you have a bomb or there's a fire in a crowded movie theater or you make a joke about a bomb on an airport line while you're waiting for your luggage to be screened, you will be taken away and interrogated and investigated and stopped right. because it's taken seriously. And threats that are made on social media should be taken seriously. And challenges that are asking people to drink bleach or um, eat Tide Pods or you know stick pennies in light sockets, I don't know where those are coming from, but without regulation, um, and the fact that people are spending hour, many more hours a day staring at these kind of moving, constantly moving streams of videos and, and images um, and, uh, and uh, whatever it is that people do on uh, Facebook, engaging in meetings on social media. Um, I, I think it's taking us in, a, in an evolutionary direction that's not really helpful for us as a species. And um, I hope that, that everything's going well here because I keep getting these yellow boxes that are dropping down onto my screen. 
So um, I just want to do. You're fine. I'm having no trouble hearing you or or seeing you. Let me. While we're while we're at that moment, let me interject something here. So I look at all of that and listen to what you're saying, and I wonder what can people do when they're trying to use these forms of escapism. I know lately for myself, uh, I think I recorded over seventy holiday movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably, probably closer to 80 between Hallmark Channel, Lifetime, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, and uh, the new GAC family, which is the old CEO of Hallmark, right? And I just was watching them because I'm normally of the opinion that Hallmark movies are sort of innocuous. They're very positive. They have these great messages of hope and in the worst crisis, something good will come from it, Right. And because I've been watching so many of them, part of me is wondering if even that good, happy stuff is creating some sort of stress in my body of, I want that life. I want that world where everything ends like a Hallmark movie ends, where you come out of the crisis even stronger, where, you know, in two hours, everything wrapped up, you find the love of your life, it happens in a week. And life is wonderful. So I mean, where's the balance with all of that? How do you find that for you and not even allow the over positive things and the over negative things to begin reprogramming your being? Well, you know, I think that balance, you know, with anything, whether it's food or exercise or entertainment, you know, is something that we have to modulate for ourselves. So if you told me that you recorded 80 Hallmark movies and that you weren't getting any work done because you were sitting and watching them, uh, you know, that would be a concern. Um, if you're watching them over the holidays. I mean, I think that one of the, I guess, the the magic, if you will, of uh, things like originally, you know, the the Disney, the Disney uh, channels, television programs, Disney World, you know, the whole Disney experience was that it takes you out of your everyday uh, life and it gives you the the magic and the comfort of, um, you know, playing with fantasy and imagination in a very, um, you know, kind of whole and harmless and fun way. Uh, And, you know, who doesn't want that? I mean, who doesn't want to live happily ever after? We all want to live happily ever after. And I don't think that it's bad uh, in any way to get the the emotional comfort and the, you know, the, the happy feelings that you get when we watch something that gives us that happy ending. But to be aware that in life, um, you know, endings are nebulous, I guess you could say, you know, I mean, some people have happy endings. All of us, everybody has adversity in our life. And I think that it's, you know, social media kind of takes people away uh, to a certain degree from dealing with adversity head on. But there are other people who use social media as a way of finding support. So I just wanted to take talk about um, the long COVID community. So when people get COVID, about to between 10 and 30% of the population, which are millions of people now who have long COVID, 
and uh, who are isolated and who develop neurological issues, uh, vascular issues, heart issues that, that are long-term or possibly permanent and disabling. And the, they're, they're isolated. And um, this is not a society where illness is considered a part of life because we worship health and beauty and celebrity and athletes. And, um, you know, you don't see a special show about old sick people. You just see special right. shows about young, healthy people. And, uh, so if you're sick, if you're a woman, if you're older, if you have a mysterious illness, and now you're going into year three, and social media has formed uh, communities for people where they can share contacts and resources and which doctors are helpful and which treatments work and where to get the right kind of test. So I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing social media. Um, it, it serves, you know, many productive functions, especially for people who are isolated now with uh, long COVID, which, which, um, which is really quite a devastating uh, condition that's now recognized by the government. And uh, there actually is a movie documentary about long COVID, uh, which is called Long Haul the Movie, uh, which you can see online, or if you go to pulmonarywellness.org, there should be a link to the movie. Um, and it talks about it, it interviews with people, including myself, who are involved with the long COVID community. So I'm sorry for that sidebar, but I did, did want to step in and say, no, social thank you media, for doing that. it serves a positive function. But I, I think, you know, you kind of have to monitor um you know, what are you doing for comfort and distraction and escape? And is it preventing you from doing what you need to do to, um, to live your life, to be responsible, to, uh, to have a fulfilling life to the degree that um, you're looking for a fulfilling life? Not everyone is looking for a fulfilling life. Some people just want to kind of be distracted and have fun and, um, and not really think about things too much. And I think that, you know, the question that you just asked is when we're bombarded with um, all of these images and messages and um, craziness and commercials that are coming at us in tiny little flash frames sometimes of, of imagery than, and, and video that's less than two seconds long, you know, the, the, it's, it lodges in the brain, but the right. brain can't sort it out. So the unconscious mind has a very hard time kind of fearing and sorting and, um, and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Discerning, um, you know, what's real and what's not real. And it just kind of, it, it's like it clogs us up so that, you know, we, we get this kind of weird kind of mental feeling of, of um, I guess I would call it lethargy or malaise or um, in, in Spanish in Peru, they call it abulia. Uh, abulia is just kind of like the, it's terminal lethargy where you just, it's like, why bother? What's the point? You know, things are really bad. Um, you know, it doesn't make any difference what I do. Um, I, let me just, let me just, uh, I'm just going to keep looking at Facebook or, Oh, look, there's a cat video. And, and I think that, that, that numbing out um, makes us less able to function when we ourselves are stricken with a disaster or emergency. It makes us less compassionate to ourselves and other people, and it makes us less alert and less able to make critical decisions when we have to navigate a crisis. So that's why, you know, a kind of a 
circular way of answering your question, why it's uh, numbing out is uh, not good for us as a people. Or well, how do, well how do you find that balance? That balance? Well, I think everybody's balance is different. I mean, uh, for me, I need to spend a, I need to spend a, a, I need to spend a lot of time in the water. I mean, I'm a water person, so I need to I need to live where uh, I'm in a climate where I can be outdoors um, and and where I can get a significant amount of time um, in water that's that's comfortable, so that I can move around and swim. It's healthier for my body. Um, that makes that makes a difference for me, and it it clears my mind. For some people, it's walking or running, and some people um, for some people there are online activities that they do that they find are very um, enjoyable or uplifting. People play games like words with friends online. Um, some people find that doing research online is just a rewarding activity that they enjoy. Whether or not you know their research, you know it, it, the danger of that, of course, is there's so much misinformation out there that um, you know sometimes what people call research is, uh, is is negative propaganda. So you know how do you find a balance with that? Uh, I don't I don't have an answer to that one. Uh, I think you have to monitor the amount of screen time that you have and kind of put yourself on some kind of a schedule where. Um, you're only going to, you know, watch TikTok certain times of the day, or you're going to limit it to, you know, one hour in the morning and two hours after work. But, you know, it, it has to kind of be in balance with the rest of your life. And that would be a very individual decision. Okay, so you said put yourself on a schedule for watching TikToks or things like that. But would putting yourself on a schedule for other things help people through all the different crises that we keep hearing about as well? You know, schedules for, you know, here's when you'll take phone calls. Here's when you're going to sit and work. Here's when you'll do your financial stuff. I, I, can well, putting yourself on some sort of schedule help get rid of that? I love the phrase terminal lethargy that seems yeah. to be hitting or terminal overproductiveness too, because I see well, that, that with a bunch of people. Well, exactly. I mean, you, you know, people. You know, I, I kind of want to go back to my, my time as a as a reporter uh, when I, I was living in in South America, and this was before way before the internet, and where people didn't even have cell phones, and um, you know, time was very, very haphazard. We think of time as digital time. And, um, you know, we, we think, well, you know, it's, it's 7.53 and I have to get on the road to get to work um, or I need to catch the 503 home. And, and you know, at, at 12 noon, I've got the business meeting and at 7 o'clock I have my yoga class. And there are people who function in life by scheduling everything. And, um, and that gives them a sense of safety. But the problem with uh, crises and unexpected events is that they don't happen in digital time. You know, we, we used to have in, in TV news, there used to be a special events uh, department or division. Uh, I don't know, there still may be. And there, there were two types of special events, planned and unplanned. So the Olympics are a planned special event. Um, some people say that the epidemic was a planned special event, but we're not going to go there. 
um, let's say an assassination would be an unplanned special event or 9-11 would be an unplanned special event. And right now we, we seem to be living in a state where there are unplanned special events every day of one magnitude or another. And within the bigger context of the pandemic, which can become an unplanned special event to any individual at any time. I mean, I, um, I may be living in a kind of lockdown, almost a lockdown situation where my, my exposure to people at this point is very limited. But um, even though I may be wearing a mask and I may be ultra cautious, um, I could go to a gas station or I could go to a store and, you know, presumably, theoretically, um, I could have contact with somebody and I could develop uh, some form of, uh, I could develop some form of COVID and that would, um, might be mild as they say, but it would definitely stop my life uh, for a period right. of time because of the need to isolate, the need to test and retest. And, and it could cause serious breathing problems. It could cause other problems uh, as well as, I mean, I know people who are young and healthy and fully vaccinated and uh, they have, uh, they've been very sick with COVID for a month and um, you know, with, with breathing difficulties and fatigue and, brain fog. So, um, it, you know, it's very serious. So it can turn your life into an unplanned special event at any moment. Now, within the context of that, we have events like the Surfside building collapse. So um, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue is an organization where I was leading a group of firefighters who were sick with long COVID. Um, you have a uh, firefighting force people who are um, very healthy and well-trained, who have been um, really under siege with 911 calls during the pandemic and who were pretty, um, who were, were working really, really hard and, and many of whom were, were really tired because we were already in year two of the pandemic, 12-story building or 10-story building just collapsed, you know, into the ground. And right. so- Right. A friend of mine from high school is was a journalist- one of the journalists for the news stations down in Miami reporting on that. And it was horrible to watch what she was going through. I can't even imagine the firefighters searching right. like the nine yeah, 11 first. Right. It was very much like nine 11, but nine 11, when nine 11 happened, we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. You know, so, right. so it's like, you know, you're talking about like a baseline catastrophe that we're all living through, which is unprecedented. And then you have catastrophes with catastrophes. So, um, you know, it's like we're living in, in these very, very unstable and difficult and dangerous times. And, you know, it just goes back to um, these five gifts, which uh, came to me uh, when I was meditating after I lost my house and um, 95% of everything that I built uh, I lost to Hurricane Sandy in 2012, which uh, affected one million people in the northeastern United States. Uh, Hurricane Sandy was a nightmare on many, many, many levels. And, and the uh, ripple effect you know, went on for many years for people who lost their homes or lost everything or were living in their cars or you know, had no place to 
um, no place to go uh, after the house they were living in was destroyed. It was really uh, continues to complicate people's lives 10 years later. Uh, so I was really concerned that the rest of my life, I was just going to be dealing with the financial trauma from that disaster. And I sat down to meditate and to relax. And um, I have a, I guess, a, a spirit guide or an angelic uh, guide or a voice that speaks to me sometimes in times of crisis. That's not coming from, it doesn't feel like me, because I usually at the point that I hear this voice, I don't know what to do. I'm just like in the state of confusion. And if I get quiet, I can hear this tiny inner voice and it whispered, five words, which were um, and are humility, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and growth. And those five words, humility, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and growth. And these are the five gifts that I was told would help me and help me to help others get through this disaster and other disasters as well. And, and, and I know the first couple of times I've had you on the show, we really unpack those pretty, pretty deeply. The one that still kind of gets to me is forgiveness, because I never would think of that as much in, you know, I know it's a gift to forgive, but in terms of when you're going through a crisis, when we're going through all the chaos, the forgiveness that you talk about in in the Five Gifts book is not necessarily forgiveness as most of us would think about it, correct? Can you describe yeah. what the gift of forgiveness is as you talk about it in the Five Gifts, discovering hope, healing, and strength when disaster strikes? For those who can't see because you're listening to podcasts, I'm holding up the book that um, I have read so many times is so dog-eared, is so post-it noted. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the, uh, the gift of forgiveness, firstly, we think of forgiveness as like a light switch, that it's an on-off switch, and that you either forgive or you don't forgive. When in fact, you can uh, step into what it's like to be forgiving. And when we are in a forgiving state, we can be forgiving 5%, we could be forgiving 20%, we could be forgiving 80%. We may never forgive 100%. But when we begin to feel what it's like to be forgiving, and usually, and this is going to sound strange, we need to forgive ourselves for being helpless to prevent what happened, whatever it is. You know, when I work with people who've been sick with COVID for a few years uh, now, um, at about the one-year point, uh, people would start to ruminate on uh, how did I get this? Oh, you know, it was my coworker. I went to that meeting. Somebody sneezed on me. I was on the bus. Um, you know, somebody coughed sitting next to me. Um, and, and I went to the I grocery store because I yeah, needed I food. <laughs> and then people, right? And then people get angry at themselves. Like, I shouldn't have done that. If only I hadn't done that. If only I hadn't been there. If only I had or not uh, sat with that person or gone to that party. And, and we need to begin forgiving ourselves because we couldn't prevent it. Um, gee, I knew there was something wrong with that kid when my son so showed me his Facebook post. Um, I should have been more proactive in 
calling the authorities. You know, you need to be forgiving of yourself because we, we can only do our best in any given moment, you know, when we're confronted with a situation like, oh, I have no food or um, I really do need to go to that party because I, I just I've been I've been working really hard and I haven't seen my friends in a long time. Social needs are very important. I, I don't think that sacrificing our social needs indefinitely is healthy for us psychologically. So when we go to a party and we get exposed to COVID and um, then, you know, we, it's not productive to sit there and blame yourself now for the period of sickness that you're going to go through. So we need to begin by forgiving ourselves to say, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, I do my best. I made a choice. Uh, now I'm not feeling well. It's, it, it'll be okay. Um, and I need to, I need to forgive myself. If you're a very, if you're a perfectionist, if you're somebody who is very critical of yourself, forgiving yourself is a big challenge because, um, you know, it's not comfortable. Me. <laughs> so something that we have to learn to do and, and also to learn not to feel guilty if we're not able to forgive a hundred percent immediately, because it's not a light switch. It's a state of, it's a state of being. Just like we can be feeling loving towards someone, but that doesn't mean that we love them 100%, you know, all of the time or, you know, all of these self-help books that say you have to love yourself. You might love yourself, but you might not love yourself 100% all the time, but you can be loving towards yourself. You can be loving towards other people. You can be kind to yourself and, and it's kinder to ourselves to be forgiving and say, you know, we, we're, we're all trying to navigate this horrible, horrible epidemic, pandemic, um, which is really, you know, I'll say it's like a nightmare of, of confused messages and misinformation where nobody really knows what the facts are and nobody really knows how it's going to play out or what's going to happen. And, uh, and we have to be forgiving of ourselves and of people around us as much as possible. Um, and it's not easy, not easy. Have you noticed with your practice and cause you're constantly being the helper, right? One of the big things, Dr. Nadell, that you do is, you know, you, you work with the long haulers, you've worked with nine 11, Sandy hook, um, I'm sure you're probably doing something with Surfside down in Miami and Hurricane Sandy and all of those. You're always there helping. Um, have any of the people you're working with felt that their isolation, it's becoming almost agoraphobia and oh, they're yeah. afraid to be around people? What do you say to them and how do you help some people who are now becoming afraid of humanity, even afraid to pet somebody's dog because they may get it from them and they're becoming even more isolationist and having even greater anxiety. What do you, what do you say to them? I mean, it sounds like this is happening. I know oh. I felt it for myself a little bit, but I was pre COVID I've been trapped in my house for years because of my ear with noise, even with earplugs, um, I'm kind of afraid to go out because anything can trigger that sound-induced disequilibrium for me. 
I'm sorry that, that you have that. It must be very disorienting and uh, disturbing. Um, you know, that's What's most disturbing, though, is the almost anticipatory anxiety mm-hmm. of, okay, I want to go out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, how, you know, once it happens, I'm sort of disabled from it. Right. Um, I get but that. even with COVID, right, because... I have lots of friends with health issues. They're they're so petrified of going out that what what if somebody lashes out? They're not wearing a mask. I'm masked. I'm not masked. Who's masked? Um, and then they go the opposite, right? Like um, I know I'm kind of all over the place with this. I have some friends who have been incredibly, incredibly careful, and now they just got on a plane to Belize. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't care anymore. Right. Right. Gone from this paranoia to I can't leave the house to, well, I'm going to, or the other ones who now don't even go to grocery stores. Everything's delivered. They never leave their home. Well, I I do think that, you know, that's, there's a big trend of people isolating that many people found that uh, lockdown was kind of a relief because they found that they they don't need to go out. Um, they're actually happier not having to go out. And if they don't have to interact with a lot of people, um, it, life, is, life is easier for them. Um, then there right. were other people who, have, uh, who kind of snapped during lockdown. And um, as soon as they could go out and mingle with groups of people, even wearing masks, I mean, they, they had to go out. And there were also a lot of people who are just kind of saying, well, you know, I, I can't stay indoors anymore and I can't worry about this virus anymore. And um, I know people who are going to Cuba, for example, and I know people who have been traveling to India and uh, to the third world and, you know, they take precautions. They feel like, you know, they can't let it stop their life anymore. But the social... Yeah, I have friends and- traveling all over and I'm, I'm like... It freaks me out at the thought. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, 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 the reality is if you get sick in the third world and, you know, if, if, if we really don't have enough hospitals and we don't have enough supplies, which is relatively sophisticated, you know, on a global scale, you know, if you, if you get sick in a third world country, um, you know, you're really, you're really there on your own and you're going to be quarantined. And um, they probably are not going to have medications uh, to treat you for COVID. Right. And uh, so, I mean, if you go, you, you bring whatever supplies you can. But in, in many parts of the world, um, you really don't want to end up in one of their hospitals because they don't, have, they don't have antibiotics. They don't have antiseptics. You have to bring your own sheets and towels. Um, you know, it's... it's um, it, it's dirty and chaotic at the best of times. So, you know, that the risk of traveling um, to exotic places right now is that it's, if you do get sick, um, you could have to stay there for an extended period of time and, and really not have access to even the minimal kind of care that you could get here. And there's not a lot of treatment or care available here unless you've stocked up on certain supplies. So, um, it's risky, but I think that a lot of people are, as I said, people's nerves are frayed and they're starting to snap. And so, you know, when people snap, it's like, well, I don't care anymore. 
Um, somebody said, well, I don't care anymore. I'm going to Cuba. Now, I have friends who've been to Cuba. They're Cuban. They visit their families. They've been back and forth several times. And um, they haven't had any kind of you know issues or problems. Personally, I wouldn't travel to a third world country right now because as much as I love to travel, I think the, um, the damage, if you were to get seriously ill right now, uh, could be pretty so that's just, you know, okay. that, that's my own personal preference. In terms of well, the how social, do you handle the mental part of it, though? The mental part of? In, in terms of, you know, we're seeing this where people are just done with the pandemic and they're just going out there, right? And then the ones that are more isolationist and staying in. And when they hear what the other groups are doing, there is a lot of this anger, that, that happens on both sides of the equation. So what's your advice for each side of that to handle what the others are feeling and perhaps help somebody through that if they've got a family member that um, won't go out or a family member that's going out all the time? I mean, it's creating a lot of Reading a angst. Lot of it's creating yeah. a lot, lot of friction. Um, the thing is, you, you can't stop people from going out, but if you are, you know, immunocompromised or if you have health issues, um, you know, we, we're, you, you have to isolate in your own room and minimize contact. And I do have long haulers who wear masks inside their own homes because they're family members, the children are going to school or they have family members who have to go out and work um, or have to ride public transportation um, just right. like when firefighters, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I had a group where firefighters, family members, wives and family members, because their husbands were getting exposed every day. And if their uh, or their husbands or wives were getting exposed every day, when their partners would come home, if they were COVID positive, they would have to isolate in the room, um, you know, so for as long as a month until the infection passed. Um, they didn't have home tests at the time. So sometimes they didn't even have tests. So you just had to stay separate from everybody until you felt better. People who are dealing with social phobias, uh, any long illness, convalescence where you are more isolated um, will tend to cause you to become more introverted and um, you lose your skills. And so if I'm working with someone who's been isolated, has been alone for a long time, and who is having anxiety, for example, about um, having to go to a family function or having to go to, um, you know, having to go be with other people for some particular reason, or needing to go to a doctor's office, or you know, needing to ship a package, and they're afraid to leave their house, you know, I can, you know, we can work on different types of tools and exercises and there's a homeopathic remedy for anticipatory anxiety that um, is is very affordable that you can get at Whole Foods or Amazon will ship it to you and you know that can help take the edge off the anxiety and then there are certain self-care tools that people can use that can kind of help to take the edge off anxiety so that you can push through it and you can accomplish what you need to accomplish Becoming more comfortable socially or in social situations, if you've been um, isolated with illness for a long time, 
there's a learning curve to it. I mean, they're actually um, a kind of coaching uh, coaching exercises that I would offer somebody so that we could do, like with any phobia, to get reacquainted with the world at large a little bit at a time. But in terms of dealing with, you know, your 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 brother or your sister or your um, um, or your your partner who doesn't believe that COVID is real anymore, believe that you know you should uh, be wearing masks. Um, you know, those become interpersonal issues uh, because um, there has to be um, ideally a, a mutual respect where. Um, you know that you cannot control another person. And if you're living with somebody who is not careful and you yourself, um, you know, have, have certain health concerns, uh, there has to be, you know, kind of a, a negotiation process that goes on so that neither side uh, starts to feel unsafe or ridiculed. Uh, because, again, people's nerves are fraying and people have really volatile reactions when you meet somebody who's on the other side of the scale in ice who I love dearly who are anti-vaxxers and uh, don't believe in masks and uh, got very upset when uh, they asked if I was getting vaccinated last year and I said of course and they just kind of went went off on on that one one woman started crying and I told her I'm going to be uh, I don't know why you're crying I'm going to be fine and then she gave me this, you know, kind of this, this diatribe, I guess, well-meaning diatribe about how bad the vaccines were. And, you know, my response to that is I, I work with people and there were millions of people who have been sick with COVID for two years and who are not getting better and who have severe neurological problems now and brain fog, cognitive problems now and who may never work again. So the risk to your health from getting COVID and the risk of death from COVID is far greater than the risk to your health or the risk of death from any vaccine. And you have to kind of decide it for yourself. I mean, right. you know, it is a, it is ultimately a personal choice, but yeah. you know, look, look we're at almost the at the end of the show. So um, I know you just have so much wisdom to share with us, Lori. Are, are you planning on writing a follow-up to the book with some more tools and different things that people can do? Be, I mean, The Five Gifts still holds today. It's an amazing book with lots of resources in it and everything. But I feel like there's a follow-up that you should be writing <laughs> with everything we've learned the last few years. Well, you know, it's interesting you should say that. I know that uh, when the printing sells out, I think it's pretty close, um, you know, I can I can kind of update it. Uh, but I'm not really planning on writing uh, another book anytime soon. Uh, I, I, you know, it's interesting, uh, and I really appreciate that you love the book, and I appreciate that the book is helpful and relevant now as times go on. Um, I think it will become even more relevant. So I, I thank you I thank, and appreciate you so very much for the show and the questions that you ask. Where can people reach out to you, get more information, get some help from you or resources that you've mentioned today? Um, you can find me at my website, laurienadel.com. That's my name, L-A-U-R-I-E-N-A-D-E-L.com. Um, the book is available on Amazon along with my other books. 
um, Sixth Sense, Unlocking Your Ultimate Mind Power. And uh, also The Five Gifts is now an audiobook and it's available on Kindle and in print. And uh, you can reach me through my website. Yeah. Last thought you'd like to leave my listeners with? Um, you know, the unwanted gift, the one that nobody wants is patience. And, you know, patience is the gift that helps us to deal with things that are going on a lot longer than we think they should. And we are not a patient culture, but um, I'm hoping that the gift of patience can help to soften some of the craziness and, and some of the arguments and some of the violence that we're seeing around us. And at least we can learn how to be a little more patient with ourselves, I hope. I love being more patient with ourselves because when you said patience, my thoughts went to all these ideas of, well, how patient do we have to be? <laughs> how long do we have to have patience? <laughs> you know? It's the unbearable gift. It's the gift that nobody wants. And I had a very hard time writing that chapter because I'm very patient. And I, real, I was literally blocked for two weeks. And I thought, this is really interesting because who wants patience? But with a disaster, any disaster, it takes three to five years to recover emotionally to the point where it just, just doesn't completely occupy all of your thoughts and feelings. So remember that this in, in, you know, in disaster terms, you know, we're just starting to get to a new phase of coming to terms with and accepting that this is in the air and it's going to be with us for a while. And we need to be patient with ourselves as well as those around us. And, and that's, a very, that's a very hard lesson for us as Americans. Yeah, I would agree with you that that's a hard lesson for us as Americans. We're used to instantaneous gratification on, on everything. I have friends that go to grocery stores and they're like, the shelves are bare, the shelves are bare. And I recently interviewed a friend of mine, Joe Serio, who wrote a book, Vodka Hookers and the Russian Mafia from his time in Russia dealing with the mob and, and all this other stuff. And he shared how you, you never knew what was going to be on the shelves in, in Russia. And he came home and the grocery aisle was super long with so many choices. And I feel like we're finally as a country beginning to see what a lot of the rest of the world deals with on a daily basis. And I don't necessarily want what's going on for them. I like my choices. I like all of that other stuff, but it is, it is interesting, this perspective shift that we're having to deal with right now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's very interesting. And, um, you know, we are becoming a lot, you know, it's very humbling. Like the first gift is humility, but it's very humbling that we are, uh, very similar to so many countries around the world. We always kind of felt that we were different in some way. We were superior. You know, we were more affluent. You know, we have more choices. We have more opportunities. Um, and now uh, we're, we're really starting to um, see things like, you know, hospitals, you know, services breaking down, um, you know, lack of consumer goods, um, difficulty buying I mean, America, the great automaker country, you know, we can't get a new car. Uh, it's just so many crazy things have happened that have really shaken up our worldview. And I think that humility is really, it's the foundational gift. It's the realization. And, you know, we're just like everybody else. We're, 
we're, we're all human beings struggling to get, you know, through this life. And, uh, you know, we're not special and we're not better than anybody else. And as Americans, we're really just the same as everybody else. And now we have to deal with the same or very similar chaos and, um, and, and uh, lack, of, lack of security when you go to the store as to what will be there or what won't be there. Um, and humility is the gift that helps us to expect the unexpected and come to terms with it. Right. And just for the, just as we're ending, um, the five gifts once again, humility, humility patience, patience, empathy. Um, and I think, you know, again, what numbness, uh, numbness, you know, basically short circuits empathy. So when we try to distract ourselves by getting numb with whatever it is we're doing, uh, when disaster strikes, we need empathy in order to get through it. We, we see the courage and resilience of the people around us, and we need that empathy connection. Forgiveness is the fourth gift, and growth is the fifth gift. And, and like it or not, we are all growing through this pandemic. Um, we are right. changing, we are learning, we are adopting. And I don't think that anyone, honestly, um, if, if we are ruthlessly honest with ourselves, we're not quite the same person we were before the pandemic. And uh, growing is the gift that lets us to um, distill from the experience what we need to learn so that we can integrate that knowledge and move forward and make better decisions for ourselves and the people we love as we go forward. I love that. It's a perfect spot to end today. We went a little bit long, but that's the beauty of not being on broadcast anymore. I don't have to shut somebody down for uh, any one particular time. So Dr. Lori Nadell, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for writing the book and being a multiple time repeat guest on my show to talk thank about you. a topic that I think is so important for us as human beings on the planet. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for your excellent questions. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. Always, always a joy. <laughs> you know, Dr. Lauren Adele has been on the show a number of times, and you can catch some more in-depth conversations that I had with her talking about her book, The Five Gifts, from when it first came out. I think this is maybe the fourth time that she's been on the show. And there's a lot of tools, a lot of resources in this book to help you. I know that it helps me get through things. And just knowing that there are people like Dr. Lauren Adele out there that can help you know you're not alone. If you need some help, please reach out to somebody. If you don't know who to reach out to, um, shoot me a note on, on social or via email and reach out to Dr. Lori Adele and we can try to find you. But you are not alone. Remember that no matter what you're going through, there's somebody out there who's willing to help you. Have a great day, everybody. And remember, the right questions can change your life. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.